0: what's up everyone welcome to the deer vein whitetail series and this is the beginning of the end this is the start of the late season segment we got eight nine ten episodes coming out on the late season if you're like me you didn't kill in the pre-rut or the rut or the early season now we're on the late season and it can be a real grind but at the same time deer are still plentiful um, they're still active in daylight hours and it's arguably one of the best times to kill a mature deer just because there's so much scarcity around so um, it should be. I've already had recorded a couple of these podcasts, and they've been awesome, really helpful, very useful for me personally, and I hope they are for you as well. As always, this podcast has been sponsored by Onyx and Arrow Hunter Saddles. I really appreciate their support. So if you guys could show them sup- some support, that would mean a lot to me. Um, Arrow Hunter Saddles. It's a tree saddle. Um, saddle hunting is a real getting real popular right now. I use that saddle probably 50, 60 percent of the time. Um, I'm out when I'm out trying to be mobile. Um, It's just so much easier than carrying a stand and six. It it really is. I just put up four sticks and then I stand on the top stick and I'm ready to rock. Um, And you can pretty much get into a lot of different trees. And it's just, it's a, it's a good system. If you're trying to be mobile and especially late season, you may need to be mobile because food sources will change. Bedding areas will change and you got to You have to hunt the hot sign in late season Um, because it's likely the only sign that you're going to find. So being mobile um, is very, very big in the late season. And uh, if you're ever looking into those saddles, look at Arrow Hunter saddles. As far as OnX goes, you know, they're the GPS mapping app, show private public land boundaries. Uh, they give you waypoints, topo maps, hybrid maps, satellite maps. Um, you can track your distances, all sorts of things. I even use it for running. When I go for runs, I'll just track where I go and it'll give me times and distance and all that stuff. So please go check out Onyx Maps and Arrow Hunter Saddles if you guys are in the market for either of those uh, categories. All right, let's get into it.
1: Just got to do it because otherwise you'd never know.
0: Right, exactly. So yeah, and those those jobs that you kind of want to say no to are like rumor has it this guy to film or to hunt with this guy. It's kind of awful or like (laughs) they want you to pay for everything and they're going to give you 50 bucks a day like... I can't make ends meet off that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know? Um, yeah. And I had, I had a guy I filmed with and I like him and I, we, we worked together well, but we spent 14 days together. And at the end of the 14 days, he was like, Hey, do you want to keep doing this? And I was like, no, not really. (laughs) (laughs) And it wasn't necessarily him. It was a little bit him. Like our personalities weren't like perfect together, but, but it was more of he was uh he was a guy that shot from the hip and he'd call me on a Friday night at 11, 11 PM and be like, Hey dude, I need you here at 4 AM. And I'd be like, yeah. uh, what, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, like I am sorry. I have a, I have a family. I have other people I need to worry about. I, I'm, yeah. I'm not just at a drop of a dime, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: So, so Hey everybody. Um, Mitch and I were just having the conversation. I have Mitch on the. and Mitch, I started recording. Just FYI. <laughs> um, so uh, I got Mitch Neve on on the podcast today, and Mitch is a, quote unquote, as we were talking about early, uh, full time photographer, videographer. Yeah. He doesn't. He's he's grinding it out. As we said, he's poor right For now, sure. but he's working on it. <laughs> Yep. But I mean, you have some, I mean, you have some good connections. Like you film and you photograph a lot of Crispy's stuff, right?
1: Yeah. 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 We're good buddies now. And uh, I was just, was just spent, you know, a month straight with him on his Western tour there. And that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. Were you he's with a him great in- connection to have.
0: Were you What's with that? him in the tree when he killed that giant in Kansas?
1: Of course I was not.
0: <laughs> okay. I was going to say, I was, I was like, man, it looked like he self filmed that, but.
1: I have to ask.
0: Yep. Yeah. dude, that yep. thing is- The one time I'm not with him and he shoots <laughs> a absolute giant. <laughs> right. But no, that trip out West seemed pretty awesome. I saw it on the Matthews page and I watched yeah. his, his own YouTube stuff as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a blast. It's a very long time to, to be grinding it out. But at the end, you know, looking back, it was definitely worth it. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I mean in in total like what you're looking to do is is
0: build those connections and kind of work into photography and videography in the outdoor kind of space yeah
1: yep for sure um you know like one day down the road i hope to own my own production companies and you know do a little bit bigger and better things but that comes with time and uh i acknowledge that so i'm not (laughs) not too worried about it right now just just keep you know one day after another no yeah i I hear you there man. It seems like there's
0: two ways to get into the outdoor industry. Like in in like the hunter aspect or the filming aspect and and one way people get in there is like they build a business, you know, construction business, painting business, whatever it is, and then at some point they sell it and now they they sold it for a couple million dollars and they can just do whatever they yeah. want with, right? And they have a ton of money. Yeah. Other people kind of like yourself kind of grind it out and work through it right and you just slowly build the best example of that is like the hunting public right they i mean they didn't sure. have a ton of money to begin with they worked for nothing and they all lived in the same house and they they exploded a lot faster than I think anyone in the industry expected um yeah but uh but but there's a lot of people kind of following those footsteps and instead of you know they I would I think they they blew up in like three years or so but I feel like yeah two or three years, I think is when they really like blew up. And most yep. people are kind of on a track to like, I think on the average side of things, you're looking at like seven to 10 years to get to where they did in three years. They just put for out sure. so
1: much yeah. good content. Yeah, It's <laughs> unreal. Right. It is. I mean, yeah, Go ahead. They grind just as hard as anyone else in the industry. That's for sure. If not harder in you know some scenarios. Yeah. You got to like, you got
0: to wonder like in their brains in like late December, they're like, ah, another 4am alarm clock. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't doubt that at all. Uh, Yeah. So you were saying, um, before we talked that you filmed a lot getting killed, but you haven't gotten anything down this year yet.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, this year for my own hunting. Had a lot of close calls uh, especially in like that second week of November I had that whole week off to where I was just at home in Michigan hunting pretty much every day uh, that I could and it just you know a bunch of close calls but of course most times it doesn't go your way and that's how it seemed to work out this year but on um, the really? contrary to that yeah I did I I filmed a lot of people um, kill a lot of animals but just didn't transfer that luck into myself. <laughs> <laughs> Seems
0: to go that way sometimes. So then as far as like hunting on your own, um, one of the things we're going to talk about in this podcast is the late season. So both you and I are looking at December and like, man, how can I formulate a game plan to get something down in the ground? Um, does your season end in Michigan, December 31st, or when does
1: it end? So I'm actually going to, to look that up. <laughs> um, but I'm pretty sure late snow season extends uh, like the first two weeks of January or something But okay. for a buck. I think it's December 31st.
0: Okay. I'll have to verify that. <laughs> yeah. And in, uh, and in Wisconsin, it goes by county. So okay. it's it's funny because the, the public land I hunt outside my house, half of it's in one county and half of it's the other, but it's the same oh, yeah. contiguous piece. So mm-hmm. I can if I'm north of this highway, I can't shoot a buck after, I can't shoot a deer after January 1st. And if I'm south of the highway, I can, even though they're like, it's kind of one of those funny things. It's like yeah, dude, the, same yeah, deer. deer don't cross roads.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs>
0: um, so yeah, I have I have that by my house and that's this piece of public, but then the the private ground that I haunt is January 31st this year. So I got, I technically got okay. two months. Um, yeah. So, what are you looking at doing? To how are you going about your late season? What are you? How are you giving it a go? And
1: what are you trying to capitalize on? So this year, I finally have like a solid food plot um, compared to previous nice. years when it's just, you know you know sparse pieces of grass. But this <laughs> year, I've got like an acre of turnips um, that came up just awesome and cabbie. <laughs> Stop kidding. Um i have like an acre of turnips that grew like as good as i've ever saw turnips grow um so i'm like i'm really stoked about that yeah and so i, I haven't hunted it since like maybe that first week of november um mainly just because i've been busy but so it's had like three weeks to rest where i don't know if i don't know if anyone else has hunted it either so that's kind of like my biggest hope right now is to sneak in there some evenings yeah. um, with a good one. That's the only problem is trying to get in there without spooking deer um, and that, you know, ideal wind. So that will be a little tricky, but I think it's definitely doable. Mine um, just have to get created and do a little bit of hanging and hunting. And besides that, on a different farm that I hunt, the food plots did not do <laughs> so hot. It's <laughs> basically grass, um, oh, man, which is unfortunate especially since, you know, you put in so much time and money into these plots and they don't exactly produce to your hopes, but Yeah, what do you think happened? Like lack lack of rain. Oh, just yeah. Were they, were they all yeah, we, turnips or what were what was there? Um is a seed blend um okay. just stuff that I bought is like chicory, I think, um turnips and clover and stuff like that. Sure and they just just didn't grow (laughs) I think I think we had like three weeks right after I planted it where there's no rain whatsoever and just scorching hot so
0: (laughs) yeah it's yeah I I did that too and I don't know when I planted I think in August maybe it was early August I think I planted and uh yeah we didn't get rain I mean we're in Wisconsin Wisconsin too so if I didn't get rain you probably didn't get rain yeah and it was like like you said like two or three weeks of just like nothing You're yep. just like oh man that was poor yeah. timing <laughs>
1: yeah I think I think I can remember too when I planted it it was like rain in the forecast you know in that weekend you know a few days after I planted it and of course that just disappeared and no rain for forever it seemed like <laughs> oh man so
0: then are you going to hunt that farm at all or are you just kind of done there
1: No, I I definitely will still hunt it um, because there's a lot of uh, switchgrass there. So I think they're definitely, I mean, I know they're bedding in there. I don't know if a a mature deer is bedding in there, but with, you know, with the the amount of does that are around there, I think the chances of still finding one are, are decent. Uh, You know, I don't think they've completely went off that property by any means, especially, I mean, there's just so much corn around me. There's so much you know, just natural browse in the woods and all that stuff that I think the deer will stay. It's just now a matter of finding them on their feet, which is always the tricky part. Yeah, that's always
0: the tricky part. Um, (laughs) Do you, uh, do you do, so I guess staying on the topic, I want to cover, I want to cover like the second rut. I want to kind of talk about that a little bit, but staying on the topic since, since we're on kind of food plots right now and whatnot, you said, you said trying to get in with a specific wind without bumping deer. Is that mean that you're, you're walking through like a bedding area or it's tough? How, why do you say that? Because I mean, it sounds like you're going to bump, you're going to have troubles getting in there.
1: Yeah, there, it definitely is a little tricky getting in there. So this, this food plot is basically it was a, three acre farmer's field that they weren't planning that year so I got permission to plant just that acre of turnips yeah and where that field is it's basically in a bottom so there's two ridges on both the east and west side and you know you kind of have to walk through those two ridges to (laughs) get there yeah and you know and this is also kind of a a newer farm that I've been hunting so I I definitely don't know it I don't know it perfectly i guess it should be how i say it yeah and how many years with you that, uh three okay which is a decent time but i definitely haven't yeah. i haven't been as much time there as my my other piece either yeah a lot of people say like
0: you should know the property in four to five years like yeah. if you're doing really well you'll know it in two or three and if you're spending a lot of time out there but a lot of, a lot of people were, when I ask them, there's generally like four to five years and you really should know what the hell is going on on that property.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think I could agree with that. And yeah. and like I said, this one is a little bit further from my house. The main property that I hunt is out of my back door. So obviously I spend a little bit more time there than yeah. the other place. That's- um, but yeah, trying to, you know figure out the perfect wind to hunt it and where so to set come, up you come through in that valley yeah okay yeah gotcha which is not ideal but there's not much you can do to get around it either yeah that i've learned yeah, yet I <laughs> <laughs> um okay. but that's why i do want to do a little bit of hanging hunting um i think you know i might be able to set up in a better spot even if i'm not right in the heart of the action maybe i can catch one either skirting the edge of the food plot or, you know, something similar to that.
0: Yeah. No, and I've been hunting. So the, my private property, the two, the two best now, I shouldn't say the two best, two of the better stands that I have are in valleys and it's been a pain. It's been a real pain to get in there. And, and that's probably why the deer are in there is because the wind's almost always swirling in there. And it's nice and thick, so I'm loud getting in there, and they smell me when I'm getting in there, so it's just it, you know, it's it's hard to make it work. What I have found to to help me be more successful in both those stands is um, I one of them. So I'll I'll start with the one that we call the ditch. Um, you cross a creek, so right in the bottom, right in the very very part of the bottom, you cross a creek, and then you have a contributory or a tributary, I should say, that's dry. So a dry ditch and you yeah. walk up that ditch and the tree is actually coming right out of that ditch and you just climb up it. And then you're kind of in a pinch point. So it's a really nice access. So I can get down into the, into the, the creek yeah. with the water, walk that up, go into that ditch. I'm, I'm pretty much visibly, you can't see me pretty much the whole way. And I pop up in the tree and I'm just there. The problem is, is then once I'm in there, like that wind can swirl. So yeah, I will only hunt that stand on either the first two hours in the morning on a dead wind when, when it's just thermals going downhill, like down into that yeah. Creek or in the evening when it's also a dead wind and I just get thermals going down and I won't get into that stand until the sun starts to get behind the trees and it gets shaded. So I'll actually just sit on the Creek bank there until that sun goes down. And then I can see that it's shaded. Then I'll get up in there. And it usually gives me about an hour, hour and a half of light to hunt it. And I know it's like, it's one of those things. And I actually asked Aaron more about it, which was like, dude, do you ever just like not get in a stand until those thermals are right? And he's like, Oh yeah. All the time. Like Hmm. it, just because like, I mean, if I got in there early, that wind or the thermals would be rising and going up the hill to where I think the deer are going to be. And I yeah. can't like, I'm going to spook them. If I just wait down in there, I might, they might pass through there and I might not be able to kill them, you know, before then. Yeah. But even if I wasn't in the stand, I wouldn't be able to kill them anyway, or I'd deliver sure, yeah. my presence. Yeah. So essentially like I have to wait for, for dead winds in those scenarios. Okay um yeah and that's both the stands is really how it kind of shakes out the the other stand besides the ditch stand the one that's just like flat out on a creek um that one is good for an east wind as well if i have an east wind which never comes (laughs) yeah in wisconsin ever comes when you want it and it's always there when you
1: don't want it right yeah
0: yeah exactly i mean the east winds are you know uh you know a couple couple days a month you're going to get an east wind around here so just kind of one of those Mm -hmm. things that if it i know where i'm going if i get an east wind but i mean this year for me all the weekends and i'm sure with you as well in october and november have been southwest west or northwest
1: yeah for sure we've got a lot of south winds uh come november it seemed like which i'm not the biggest fan of uh they don't set up best for my spots but
0: Got to work with that you have. Right. I, dude, I'm in the same boat, like our, our property, you enter from the South. So as you come in, if you have a South wind, it's just blowing right into the property. Yeah. So you're kind of just like, shit, you know, and you're like, well, it is, it is what it is. I hope that I can skirt these bedding areas to the point that they don't smell me and just set up as best I can. Yeah. You know, um, and some people will say, just don't even hunt it. Um, I think that like, I like to hunt and I'm like, I'm going to hunt. Um, and sometimes I didn't this year, but maybe next year I would be a little bit more reserved and go to some public land instead and just try my odds there. But -hmm. I was trying to get really like creative on my entry and exit routes. Like how can I get in there with a South wind? And one of the things that I found that actually worked out pretty well was actually driving, driving a four wheeler. So yeah, they, uh, you know, I didn't like to, when I enter in the morning, I don't like to drive a four wheeler. Cause it kind of at like 5. AM the deer are like, Oh, what the hell's that noise? We never hear this yeah. at 5. AM. Right. <laughs> yeah. But this year, uh, you know, with that South wind, I was like, what do I, you know, what's worse waking them up with noise to a four wheeler that could be potentially dangerous, might not be potentially dangerous or walking through the woods and having them smell me which is certainly dangerous. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had that kind of thought in my head and and it worked out actually the way I, the way I thought A guy, um, came to our property, one of my dad's friends for gun season. My dad just called me up, was like, Hey, I got my buddy coming. Can you put him in a good spot? And I'm like, kind of maybe i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure if i want to or not type of thing you know so so i ended up so i said you know there is this really open area it's gun season why don't you just drive the four-wheeler down the four-wheel path stop get off the four-wheeler walk 20 yards and sit on the ground and he was like really Mm -hmm. and i was like give it a shot you know see what happens yeah and I was like, maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But we had a south wind and and it was better than him walking through the whole property. Cause I know like yeah. he had 0% scent control, nothing whatsoever. <laughs> um, and he ended up missing the biggest buck on the property twice. Man. <laughs> at 80 yards. And then again, at a hundred yards. And I was like, Jeez. He, I was showing him trail camera pictures. He was like, it was that one. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so, Dang. you know,
1: That's crazy. It,
0: yeah um it was just one of those things so so now my confidence is a little bit restored in the fact that you can drive a four-wheeler in the morning and not have these deer spook um just because yeah. it's it's a four-wheeler but that is a yeah. very long-winded response to your <laughs> your statement <laughs> of hunting these hunting these uh this food plot in the valley yep so are you yeah and i've
1: go ahead you can go um so going back to the four-wheeler thing like I've, I've done that twice this year as well and I wasn't even really getting that close to where I was actually hunting but I used it to get on the opposite side of the property and I was going by where I knew you know deer would exit the woods and I'm like well I can either walk by it and they can probably pick up my ground scent or if I drive around it you know they're still gonna know that something drove through there, but I feel like the odds are a little bit better that they won't spook as bad from a four wheeler as they will from you know ground sound of a human. Yeah, and I'm no like I don't know if that's tried and true, but it makes me feel better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I don't have I don't personally I don't have any like experience with that with the the four wheeler. I mean four wheelers have rubber tires and they leave gas you know, they leave gas scent, but yeah. uh, you know, a, a four wheeler, uh, in theory, uh, aside from poachers has never killed a deer. So if you have yeah. four wheelers on the property and everything and, and machinery the thing, farm, yeah. and stuff like that, that's not gonna necessarily scare them. Whereas, yeah. you know, whereas ground scent, it, it could. Um, when I was talking to Zach Farrenbaugh, another hunting public guy, he was saying that, um, Deer will definitely take notice of ground scent depending on the time of year and, and whatnot, but they'll definitely take notice of it. But ground scent is a lot more, a lot less threatening than your scent straight to their nostrils out of a tree stand. Yeah. Right. So for instance, this year, one of the, one of the bucks we were chasing, a, a friend and I set up in a tree stand and. Um, we were at a pinch point and we had about 70 yards or so to the end of this cliff. And I was thinking they were going to come between us and that cliff. We had a trail at like 15 yards, a trail at like five yards and another trail at like 35. Buck came in on a, on a trail I didn't even know existed at 55. My buddy was, who was the shooter at that point. He was like, dude, that's too far. I'm not taking that shot. And it scooted right through and it went right through where we actually came in. And it followed our trail for, I don't know, 40, 50 yards. Didn't give a damn. And it came through about three and a half hours after we had walked through. And, um, but it was like November, I don't know, fifth or sixth. I mean, he was yeah. cruising mouth open, tongue out. Like he was looking yeah. for a doe for sure. So at that point, I feel like I could have pooped in the,
1: in the trail and he wouldn't have cared, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's you know timing of the year uh, there's there's so many variables um yeah i don't know if we ever will know but i do agree with you as to where i don't think ground scent you know plays near the factor as you know actual Mm. human scent blowing you know their direction
0: yeah i feel like like in my in my opinion it depends on the the safety that the deer assumes they're like that they think they're How do I say this depends how safe they think they are in their spot. So like if you leave ground scent in the middle of a bedding area, um, the second week of season, that is going to spook a deer a heck of a lot more than if you leave ground scent in the middle of a bedding area on November 8th, just because it's the time of year and, and they've, you know, like that early season stuff, they're like, Oh shit, there's a hunter in there. I'm still trying to just grow my antlers here and I'm still trying to just live. I'm not worried about does at all yet. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, and then they smell you. They're like, okay, yeah, that's probably not a good thing, you know, sure. in, in my house. Um, but during the rut, you know, they have so many different bedding areas and so many different home range. Yeah, exactly. They move so much. It's yeah. And that's, That's the other thing is, you know, you might go in there and and spook those deer that first time in, but during the rut, like another deer could be coming 10 minutes later. For sure. Yeah. You know, that's one thing
1: a lot of people don't think about too, is they get so concerned about that one deer and then forget that, you know, literally any minute, a new deer that they've never had on trail camera, never seen in person could show up and walk 20 yards from them.
0: Yeah. You know. Exactly. All it takes is that hot dough. You know, I had, I had three new bucks show up on our property that I had never gotten a photo of before November 1st. And they showed, they all showed up on November 4th and 5th. And then I've never got photos of them again. So, you know, those bucks were just passing through, but they were all daylight photos. So I have to imagine some hot dough kind of scooted through there on a different path or something. Yep. Cause they all kind of came through same trail within a half hour, 45 minutes of each other go in the same direction. <laughs> yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, to get back on topic, the late season. So sneaking into that Valley, are your stands on that food plot? Are they up on a, on the Ridge? Or are they like, actually is the plot like down in the bottom and you're elevated
1: above it or vice versa? So the plot is in the bottom, like, and I feel like, um, most people, when they hear like us talking about the valley, they might think it's like very narrow, but I'm talking like several, several hundred yards wide, you know, just to okay. kind of help someone visualize this a little yeah. bit. Um, so in, in the bottom it is, you know, it's flat There's obviously this acre field. It's not small by any means. Um, so it's, you know, it's not like the deer are going to be walking right under my stand either. They could, they can still skirt me at several hundred yards, you know? Okay. So, um, but to kind of answer your question, I'm a little bit, so I, where I'm positioned is in the woods, maybe 30 yards off of the food plot off the edge. And I am kind of, you know, towards, towards the, uh, the ridge, but I'm definitely not on top of it. Okay. From the ridge, I'm probably, I haven't even hunted it in a while. I'm probably like, 120, Good. 150 yards, if okay. I imagine.
0: So then essentially you would want you would want your thermals to be rising to come out of there and go uphill. So that like if you wanted to shoot the plot. Right. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And you that's yep. one of those tricky situations, man, because you got like the really early morning hours where they could potentially still be in that plot and you'd have sinking thermals going into it. But yep. then you also have that after it warms up a bit then they're going to be going uphill and at that point you know the deer like in theory won't be in the plot anymore they'll be scooting along on that ridge so then they'd be going into your scent anyway
1: (laughs) so yeah sounds like a yeah it sounds
0: like a tricky situation
1: for sure and of course you know like i said that's where all the deer are so you know they're there now it's just trying to you know outsmart them
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah, so certainly. Um yeah, and so finding the right combination of, of thermal and wind speed and wind direction is going to yep. be the key to your success there. And that seems sure. to be the the key to success in these valleys. You know, I talked with Bo Martonic and he was he was kind of of the same the same mindset is it's about wind speed. Um, he likes to use the the creeks and the rivers and valleys to his advantage cuz those yep those rivers and those thermals always carry more consistent, you know, like a river will always will warm slower and cool slower than the air around it. So um, it'll always help your scent one way or the other, if you can play it right. Yeah. And um, yeah, one of the questions I got on Instagram one time was how much does a river affect your scent based on how far away you are?
1: Yeah, that's a good question,
0: right? I know I was like, man, that is a that is a very uh, a multi-step answer because it's kind of like, well, how big is the river? And yeah. I think that the only way I could, I think how I answered it was just take some milkweed with you and find out. Yeah, <laughs> like just take your, take your wind checker and find out. But uh, that's the you can give. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the bigger you know, like, yeah, because. You know, temperature changes, like if the air is 70 degrees and the river is only, you know, 42, will yeah. it probably have a bigger effect than if the air was 70 degrees and the river was 60. And then For based sure. on how wide the river is and how much wind speed it can pick up going like yeah. east to west versus north to south on a wind that's parallel or perpendicular to the flow of the river okay. makes difference too. Like it all, yeah. like there's so many tricky scenarios there it's it's so hard to answer it's just like go screw it up and and then you'll know
1: <laughs> failure is a and good teacher, and, that's it. It. Yeah. and then, then you'll know like you said <laughs> yeah yeah i i don't think i could give a solid answer to that
0: i yeah i don't think anyone can like that's like <laughs> a 10-part question and answer yeah. <laughs> that's like hey how do i tune my bow or like yeah. how do i how do i make my photos look better um (laughs) yeah Yeah. go to youtube (laughs) yeah right exactly exactly um okay so uh i wanted like i said i wanted to touch on the second rut so looking at that that food plot and how your stand set up we'll come back to that but second rut today is december 3rd do you like what are your thoughts around that do you do you plan to hunt around it have you had action with that or, or tell me
1: about that a little bit so in years past the years past have definitely been different from this year um mainly because i've shot a buck by now and i'll relax a little bit but this year you know it's i'm far more gung-ho and you know want to be out in the stand as absolute much as i can compared to last or compared to previous years well so, you watch all these other people kill deer and i know right <laughs> yeah maybe if i had a little it's bit of easy. time if i had a little bit more time to myself i could probably have killed one by now but yeah oh well. <laughs> um but yeah i'm definitely gonna still hunt pinch points still gonna hunt you know the the, the uh the areas between food and bedding um doe bedding areas and with with all of that switchgrass it does make it a little bit difficult because they can bed anywhere sure and so that's one thing i'm still learning a lot about is trying to hunt around the switchgrass because we have, I think it's like thirty-five acres, which is a pretty yeah. big chunk, um, hmm. at least from yeah. my understanding.
0: Oh, it is. And, yeah, in the Midwest, that's a good sized chunk.
1: In Texas, that's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that's that's one thing that I'm still trying to figure out is where they are, where they prefer to bed. I still don't know how to figure that out. But in the the switchgrass anyways, I know, you know, there's still the primary bedding, you know, the the thickets in the woods and, you know, ditches and stuff like that. But as far as the switchgrass, which I feel like they spend more time in there once the the leaves drop and the wind picks up and snow, I think they, you know, can just kind of get out of the wind a little bit better in there. Um, And that's where I really like just sitting on the edge of it and getting high up in a tree and you know, glass as much of it as I can and yeah. try to see where they're coming from and where they're, or where they're either bedding and where they're headed to in the evenings. Or if you're hunting in the morning, see where they're coming from and you know try to pinpoint where they're bedded. And then, uh, then you just got to make a game plan from there and hunt accordingly. Yeah. Do you ever notice,
0: I mean, do you ever notice patterns in that? Like if it's a specific wind they like to bet on this side of the switchgrass versus the other side and and like an edge or anything like that or no so
1: yes at least for one portion with a south wind because there's um, a pine thicket on there it'd be there south yeah so with a south wind there it's blocked all the wind is blocked so if it's like you know 25 30 mile an hour gusts they do like to bed in that stretch right there just because they're out of the wind you know they're yeah. out of the wind blocking of the pine trees but then also in that switch grass
0: right so they, they probably,
1: get all that cover too yeah yeah and it's hard
0: like you know what's always amazing is every year like when you see deer and then you look away from them and then you look back you're like where the hell did you go <laughs> yeah, you know just like they have a brown coat and they blend in so well and especially in that switchgrass I mean they just oh yeah down and they just disappear yeah and if you're not above it they're probably not even gonna see them yeah exactly do you ever like drive that or do you heavily
1: scout that afterwards to figure out where the hell they are I've never um like drove it or pushed it I've just only walked it you know during shed season and um we pheasant hunted it like once or twice and you'll i mean you'll find beds just everywhere and you know you'll find the trails where they exit into the woods and where they'll exit into the corn but trying to trying to like figure out their you know their core movement in that is i i just haven't figured it out yet i mean there's yeah, so Man, much to it there i there is
0: and i i have a, a few similar public fields that i'll hunt like that um yeah it's public land and pheasant season in Wisconsin doesn't open till like mid October sometime. And bow season opens mid September. So I have about a month where they will bet in that stuff. And in my opinion, like when they do, it's, it's totally random and you just got to get lucky. Yeah. Like I don't, I I've walked it and I walked it. I really wanted to key in on that about four years ago or something. And I spent, man, this field, I haven't, I've never measured it on Onyx, but it's gotta be 60 or 70 acres of just switchgrass, if not more. And yeah. I've walked it for hours and just back and forth and back and forth looking for beds. And I, you find beds, like you're saying all over the place, but it seems yeah. sporadic. There isn't really a whole lot of a pattern to it. And then when, when I've hunted it, um, there was, it was also, I'd get up just like you're saying, get up pretty high and watch that in the early season. And one night they'd pop up in one corner and the other night they'd pop up in a different section than the other night. Yep. they'd come over, you know, it's like you, you move and they move and then you move and then they move. And you're just like, what the hell? You know, <laughs> and I know, I know I have the wind in my favor and I know I have a good entry and exit. And I know they can't see me or smell me cause they're laying in this switchgrass and I had the wind proper the whole time. So yep. how, like, how is this working out? And it's just, I, I I've come to the conclusion that it's just random so I yeah. wait until the pheasant hunters come in in mid-October on public and they just push all the deer out of there. And then yeah. I have other bedding areas that I know where they go to that are much easier and smaller. Yeah. to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> For sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, that? I, so
1: go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Um, so this is probably three or four years ago when I was when I was still in high school. And I do remember there's like three days in a row where they would come from this open hayfield, um, you know, chasing and they'd chase a doe into this CRP and they would do like a loop around, they'd go back into the hayfield. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to set up there where they're going right into the CRP. And of course it's set up there and, you know, they, they quit moving through there
0: (laughs) right yeah and they're like oh yeah we're not gonna do that today we're gonna do something yeah
1: exactly (laughs) and you know i tried the same thing this year because i know they just follow that edge of the woods and you know come into the crp chase does around and leave or you know they might bed down there but it's just i guess it's (laughs) i guess i've had better luck seeing deer there instead of actually hunting it (laughs)
0: yeah I yeah I have that I mean a lot of hunters have that like oh yeah I've seen deer there I have trail cameras picture that trail camera pictures of deer there and then I go there and I never see a deer (laughs) like I just like they know um yeah and that's when 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 they know it's the first thing I look at is all right what did I do wrong you know and it could have just like in a lot of times you know you plan the right route you plan the right entry route you plan the right exit route you plan the right win you plan the right time of day to get in there and all that stuff and you might have it all set up and you just don't the deer just don't move there that day it just is what it is you know that's that's one of those pieces of luck that I had a hard time like coming to realization with in hunting is like you know, you can do everything right and still not be successful because a coyote came through three hours before you or another hunter or or, yeah. You know, some jerk off on a four wheeler came through and trespassed or they just ran around on the public or whatever the hell was going on. You know, maybe someone was there the day before and they hunted it on a totally, totally wrong wind and they entered terribly and they exited terribly and they smoked the whole time they were in the tree. Like you don't know, what the hell is going on? And so, especially on public, it's kind of like, you can do everything right and still not be successful. And then it just comes down to time, putting in yep. the time and just, yep. you know, doing everything right, you know, multiple times in a row. Um, and p- private gives you the opportunity to uh, control a lot of that yep. and have a little bit more control over who accesses, who enters and how they do it. You know, that was the one thing with that guy who who missed that, nice, that the nice buck two times was I said, hey, man, like this is where you should go, but do not walk there. You have to take a four-wheeler there and you have to take a four-wheeler out. That's all I ask. Like go there. You can see for hundreds of yards in the woods there. It's really open and they're probably going to be heading this direction, which, which they were. Um, and I said, go for it, but just please do not. Don't walk over here and yep. don't. <laughs> don't leave that area without the four-wheeler. And he was like, dude, that's cool by me. I don't need to walk anyway. <laughs> you know, I'll drive the four-wheeler the whole way. You know, he dropped into uh, he dropped into the dry ditch after he shot, he shot across this dry ditch at, at like 80 yards. The ditch was at like 30 and the buck was on the other side, walking up the Hill to this, this bedding area. That is very, I, I know it very well. And when I talked to the neighbor to get access, He's like, oh, yeah, you bought uh, you bought that guy's place. Do you ever uh, drive that woods up there? I was like, I was like, no, we're not real big into driving. And he's like, oh, we used to drive that all the time. And deer used to just pour out of there. I was like, oh, really? Do you drive your woods at all? He goes, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. (laughs) I I was like, oh. Well, then what, well, you know, but he yeah. was like, ah, that's property that, that I don't own. So yeah, I'm driving that. And that's, and he had a couple good drives set up on, he was telling me about the drives that he used to set up on our property. And it's clear as day, you know, I was like, yeah, cause they probably bet in this area. Right. And he was like, yeah, cause you get to the end of this point and all of a sudden they just bail off. You know, there's, there's a couple spots like that on our property. Yeah. So anyway, he shot at that buck and then he, when he went to go cross the ditch um which was a dry ditch no no water in it it's probably like a four foot drop and then a three four foot incline but it's probably like five six feet wide so it's almost like straight up pretty much he dropped into that thing and pulled out of it and he said he sat down and he's pretty old dude and he sat down and he was like I don't know how I'm going to get back across. <laughs> it's like, at that point, I wasn't even worried about if I hit the deer or not. I was just worried if I could get to the forward.
1: <laughs> <again>. <laughs> yeah, that's funny.
0: <laughs> so uh, yeah, but that's, that's that, that entry and exit, you know, and then just putting in your repetitions and having the time. And I feel that, you know, with, with the, with the rut, for sure, it's kind of, you know, a toss up, but in the late season, those entry and exit routes, a lot of those deer, I mean, I should say in the, in the second rut. Okay. So this is, this is my opinion on it. I'm not saying this is fact, but my opinion is that the, the more mature deer, they understand that like winter's coming and with winter comes death. If they don't get enough calories, if they, if they don't rebuild themselves from chasing and running all over the rut which a lot of mature deer, like some of them, I think it's like a personality thing. Some of them will will run, you know, have a range of four or five, six miles during the rut. Some of them will have a range of 500 yards if they have enough does, right? They don't really care as long as they get their breeding in. Um, But I feel like the second rut is more of like a a young bucks game. And it's more of, uh, an opportunistic game for mature deer, like yep. if if they're if a mature five five and a half year old bucks hanging out in his bed, and a doe walks by him at thirty yards and she's in heat, well he's gonna get up and go have a sniff, right? Yeah, and, and, but it but he's not out burning rubber trying to find does in early December. He's like fuck, I'm tired. Like yep. I kind of just want to like eat and relax. Yeah. It, cheetos some good netflix and i'll hang the hell out and i'll be okay until next november yeah right I, i feel like that's how bucks kind of think um or mature deer and that's why when so last year on trail camera um in uh early january actually i had a lot of chasing on camera i had one doe that came through and for like the next 30, 45 minutes, I had multiple bucks running through this one area. Yeah. So she, I'm guessing she had she had come into this was like her third cycle, or it was a fawn, and it was the fawn's second cycle. Yep. Um, but in that area, it was all it was all bucks under four and a half years old. It was all these younger deer. And I've I don't know that there could have just not have been a mature buck in the area, but at for the sure. same time. It was January and I'm sure that mature deer just if he wasn't in the area he's not going after that he's not running burning rubber looking for that fawn coming yeah. into second cycle like yeah. the odds are so low like why am I gonna waste my energy? Yeah so that's how I feel the second rut personally plays out. So my strategy for the second rut is like trails that come out of bedding areas and to the food sources and finding where like multiple bedding areas their trail narrows down to one trail to get to that food source yeah you know if that makes sense like if you had yep. if you had if you pictured like a, a y and um at the top left and top right of the y are the bedding areas and then the food is on the bottom of the Yep. I don't know, the, the straight shaft or whatever, where they
1: come together. That's where I want to be for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's one thing you can really count on right now too, compared to, you know, like your like that first week of November or first 10 days when, you know, bucks are just chasing, 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 they don't, they still eat obviously, but they're not, they're not near as successful, successful to be in those food plots and you know, with the colder weather and if we ever get some snow, which (laughs) is so weird, who knows, but you can count on them being in that food plot or ag field or anything like that, or a clear cut. And, you know, if you can hunt that, like you said, in the bottom of a Y or where multiple trails come together, you know, I, I would assume that would definitely increase your odds as to where if you're kind of up on the edge of a bedding area and on one trail. Right. Yeah. And that's like, I mean, that's an
0: ideal scenario, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm living in dream world land on that. (laughs) Um, and people can find them and I've found them before and it's just, it's trying to find those areas. And if, if you can, it's awesome. If you can't, like, you know, you have to hunt, you have to hunt the hot sign. Like in the late season, all those food sources are different than the early season. Yep. right so your turnips probably were were crap in the early season like the deer yeah. aren't really like hammering no. turnips in the early season right they're, they're looking everywhere them. yeah they have all the browse they ever need and and there's much better food sources for the early season late season though those turnips turn into gold right And it's like where are they i'm gonna eat all that and so it just becomes yeah. a much a much more attractive food source for them and same with picked corn like corn early season isn't that great but now that it's picked it's good standing beans are good again um you know different oaks become good again and it's kind of finding that food and repositioning to find that food and then once you find the right food and you find the deer then unless you bust them out of there and push them out they're going to keep coming back and then at that point it's just entry and exit right route and figuring out how to get to them during daylight hours
1: yeah that's i think that's another big thing too is you can't go in there and spook all the deer because you know they're all they're all grouped up right now um and if you if you just walk in there and bust them all out that's one of the worst things you can do right now because you know right now they're pretty dang patternable especially the does you know they're going food bedding food bedding and the last thing you want to do is just spook them all out right yeah
0: certainly um and that's a that's another good point is how they group up in the late season and before we started talking you were saying like you haven't had shit on trail camera since gun season yep (laughs) yeah always uh, you know every bow hunter is like ah fuck gun season But at the same time, you know, I pick up a gun, everyone picks up a gun because it's just an opportunity and it, and it is a phenomenal, you know, um, herd control method. And it's the right, it's the right thing to do it for a lot of people who don't bow hunt. And, um, it's just always like, God, I hope no one kills that buck that I'm after. (laughs) No jabroni comes in and kills that, kills that giant, which almost happened on my property, you know, and I would have been very happy because, when I had mixed feelings about it, honestly, like he was like, I saw this giant and I missed him twice. I don't know what the hell is going on with my gun. And I was like, Oh, thank God he didn't kill it. You know, that was like my first, my first selfish ass reaction was, Oh, thank God he missed. And then, and then he goes, that's the biggest buck I've ever seen in my entire life. I've never seen a bigger buck. And this buck's in like you know, the one forties range, maybe, maybe low one fifties. And I'm like, after he said that, he was like, that would have been so awesome. I would have mounted that thing. Oh, it was so cool. Biggest buck on the hoof I've ever seen. I was like, shit. I wish you would have shot it. Yeah. That'd like, be awesome. You know, it would have, I, I, my, my emotions completely turned and I was like, shit, well, let's shoot your gun and see if it's sighted in or not. You yeah. Know? Cause that's like, <laughs> that's probably
1: the thing is he just pulled it out of the gun safe and grabbed a box of bullets and went out. <laughs> Dude,
0: I, uh, I'm like 99.9% sure. I was like, did you shoot this before? And he was like, yeah. Yeah.
1: Three <laughs> like, years yeah. ago.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think so um i don't think so bud. so (laughs) i mean yeah at at 80 yards unless you're you know with a good with a rifle and he had like a three by nine scope and he said he had it all dialed uh, dialed all the way up i'm like "Ah, it's pretty hard to miss with a 30 odd six at 80 yards you know um so i i'm sure it happens like i i've fuck i missed i missed a good buck with my bow at 26 yards so i you just get excited and you you mess it up but uh But, but yeah. So, I mean, my emotions just totally turned at that point. Um, and I forgot I, how I got off on that huge tangent there, but it was about gun season and the does hurting up. And, and I think gun season helps push deer into very specific pockets yep. because, you know, before gun season and the ruts going on, they can kind of be anywhere and be free. And, and they're really only worried about bow hunters and, and there's only, I don't know, a third of the bow hunters as there are gun hunters in Michigan and Wisconsin. For sure, um, I think we each yeah. have like somewhere around 600,000 gun hunters or so. Maybe this year was close to 700,000 with COVID. Thank you COVID for all the yeah. license sales spikes and all the other outdoorsmen. Yeah, get <laughs> right. <laughs> I, you know, it's kind of like one of those things is like, I don't want more hunters in the woods, but I do want more hunters in the woods because it's more yeah. money for everybody. It's, you know, yeah. it's, it's one of those diabolical positions yeah. to be in where you can never be right. But, uh, but it, it, it pushes those deer into certain pockets where they feel safe. And so it almost like herds them up already. And then yeah. later season herds them up even more because there's no bedding or there's very minimal bedding. There's very specific bedding areas and there's very specific feeding areas. So you know whereas like you said in the early season there's browse everywhere they can eat whatever the hell they want and now they have a very specific they have like you know four or five food sources that's where they're going to be and then they have very specific bedding areas which is generally the thickest what is it um uh stem count it's high stem count areas so it doesn't need to have leaves to be thick it can just you know beef brush and they can hide in that stuff or switchgrass like you said you know high stem count that really thick stuff yep uh so
1: this is one thing i was is uh what are your guys's like private parcel size like on average how big by
0: my piece so i hunt in western wisconsin and it's pretty rural so average parcel size around there man I would guess around 150 acres is average okay so the neighbor to the north of me owns 600 the we own hundred and the neighbors to the west own 40 80 20 um, and then like 170. Okay. To the east is another 200 acres and then a 40 and another 40. Okay. So like, yeah, I would guesstimate probably in that 150 range. How, like, how, where are you leading with this?
1: Um, so kind of, well, first off, so like my, around my area is, I'd say like the average is, you know, maybe like 40, <laughs> maybe like 40 or 60 acres. And okay. so we had 60. And then um, I'm lucky enough to be able to hunt two of my neighbors that butt up to our property, which would, you know, add up to be like one, I think 120 acres, um, which is uh, you know, extremely nice because that doubles the amount of land I can hunt. Yeah. But you know, going back to you know, around 40 acres being the average is in a square mile, there's just so many hunters. Which is, you know, when you hear someone say, when you hear someone talk about Michigan, that's usually one of the things they say is just the amount of hunters and especially gun hunters. So, you know, going back to your, to originally where you're saying all the deer kind of get drove into where they feel safe is Mm -hmm. I think a little bit different from where I am than you are just because where they feel safe can be across four different property lines.
0: Yeah if that makes sense no i makes subtle sense like you know they can they can feel safe there's that 140 that no one ever hunts that that grandma ellis owns or whatever and no one gets to yeah. hunt that and they all get to go yeah. barrel into there and everyone's like god if we could only hunt that piece yep. <laughs> we'd kill like that right next to me <laughs> <laughs> exactly and then they bet in there but but you know, grandma Ellis property has no food. So they have to go somewhere else for food. And hopefully you have the property that has food and then then you can catch them between the two, but I could definitely see
1: how I was really hoping. Go ahead. I was really hoping that this would be that year. Um, you know, I planted more acres and food plot than any other year. And like I said, maybe an acre of it turned out, (laughs)
0: Well, I mean, you still got another month left, and those turnips, I mean, they're about to hit like prime time, you know, when they're really yeah. successful is that late season. So as long as you're able to tough out the cold and get out there, I mean, that's when they're yep. that's when they're going to be their best. A, a friend of mine had um, Parker, who's been on the show multiple times. Um, we have properties ten minutes apart. His family has, I think, 200, and they're allowed to hunt the neighboring 200 or something in that i i forget what it is but it's like 350 acres so they have a food plot in a bottom and that whenever it is some some years i don't know how they decide who plants it parker doesn't even decide how they plant it he doesn't even know he's like yeah they just tell me what they plant and that's like what they plant like they just even if i give them my input my uncle just is like no i don't care we're planting this but he's yeah. like late season if that little food plot that they have it's like a half acre in a bottom that is surrounded by woods on all sides bedding areas on all sides It's like if that's if that's turnips like you're talking like 100 trail camera pictures a day in there for sure and and you're you're you know if you sit there in an evening and you got a decent wind you know, you're looking at 15 to 20 deer every night in that half acre plot, just browsing around Mm -hmm. until that thing's toast. Um, for sure. So yeah, it's a good, I remember a couple of years ago we hunted that and we, there was, you know, it was, it was, there was a bunch of snow on the ground. It was like mid January. I think it was late January. It was the last day of season. And there were two trails coming to that food plot. And both of them, we had about, I don't know, 10 inches, 12 inches of snow, and both of them were down to the dirt and we're yeah. like, well, which one do you want to pick? Like, yeah, we picked, we picked one that was coming off a knob and the stand, it was a great double stand. And this knob was um, this, the, the double stand was probably like a hundred yards from the plot, but it was across a picked cornfield. Um, so we're like, well, they might come through here. You know, and they're they're up on this knob, we might be able to catch them on daylight better further from the plot and closer to the bedding, right? That was the idea. And they all came out of the other spot, the other place. And we were watching I was like a 160s, 160s, uh, 10 point for 45 minutes. You know, he, <laughs> he came down into the plot with you know 10 does or whatever. And if we would have picked the other stand. Um, assuming none of the does busted us, he would have walked by at 20 yards, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. And it's like, and you know, you know how this is, uh, cause you run a camera. So at that time I was running a, uh, five, um, a five D Mark three. Yep. And, uh, and I had a 70 to 200 and I put that thing on it and we're probably like 180 yards, 180 or yeah, 200 yards from this buck. And, uh. I was zooming in with that magnifier watching him. And I'm like, like, dude, I think that's a really good buck. I'm pretty sure that's a good buck. And I zoomed that thing all the way. And I was like, shit, (laughs) that thing is is huge, you know? And it was that snow that was super crunchy. So it's not like, I was like, dude, you want to try? He's like, no, (laughs) (laughs) no, we're just going to bust them all the hell out of there. There's no way we're even getting in there and we got to go across a picked cornfield. Like, no, it's not happening. Like, yeah. let's just hope to God something else comes off this knob. Um, but yeah, it didn't work. So, so I, I, I hope your turnups turn out, man.
1: Yeah. Um, so I was, I just had like kind of a spontaneous trip to Georgia for the last 12 days. And it was supposed to be three days, which turned into 12. Um, hunting <laughs> or? No, I was, uh, I was with some buddies. I was with Chris and then uh, Colby at ultra view. So okay. sure. Yeah. I mean, I went down there to kind of shoot photos of their new products and that turned into, well, everyone's going to be here. So you might as well just stay and hang out. And I'm like, eh, why not? So Make those
0: connections, man.
1: Yep. Yeah, and the only bad part about that, uh, was a great trip. Only bad part was I pulled my trail cameras before I went down there because I was going to put new batteries in them. And I'm like, well, after these three days, I'll go put them back out well being gone for 12 days i have no trail cameras to check when i get back and it's pretty bummed about that uh (laughs) no i i just got those out yesterday so okay so december
0: 2nd yeah what um so did you just what do you have a camera company that you run at
1: all like do you run a specific camera or No, no um i've got mixed bag yeah yeah kind of you know the, the new bog cameras that came out. I've got a few of those. Okay. Um, How do you like those? I was
0: looking into those and I, you know, I, I haven't bought any, but they
1: seem all right. Yeah. I really like them. Um, picture quality is just as good as anything else for the money. Um, I've never, I've never bought any really high end trail cameras cause I don't want to spend that much money, right but compared to, you know, stuff in the same price range, Work awesome. I really like the like the removable screen. Um, oh, really? Because, so you can just
0: how how does that work?
1: Yeah. So basically, like the the computer of it is built into this screen, which then plugs into the camera housing. I guess you could call it. Okay. Um, so there's it's like a three inch screen um, where you can you know you can set the time and date. You can set your picture modes. You can look at your pictures um i'm sure there's other stuff but that's kind of stuff off the top of my head but with that like three inch screen you can you can pretty well see what a deer is i mean as good as you need to anyways yeah so you can tell if it's a buck that interests you or if it's you know a typical Michigan eight point (laughs) (laughs) right Um, but I, i really like those and then i've got like a browning trail camera and can't think of the other company name. It's a pretty popular, but I can't think of it, but it doesn't Uh, matter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I run, so
0: I haven't tried those bogs yet right now. I've had really good luck with Exodus. So I have a bunch of Exodus. Um, and I really got turned on to them just because of the, like, when I was really starting to buy some cameras, um, I was hunting a lot of public and they give you 50% off if one of your cameras gets stolen. Like you just have to okay. register it. And if it gets stolen, like you just call them and be like, Hey man, this got stolen. They'll give you 50% off the next one. That's pretty cool. um, yeah. So that's how I got turned on. Cause I had a couple cameras stolen and <laughs> which like, man, that is, I don't know if I've ever been madder at anything. Like it is just pure, pure rage. And then it turns into just like begging for the SD card. Like just leave the SD, you know, and then, and then it just falls off and you're like, well, I hope to, I, I hope a, a semi-truck hits you, you know? <laughs> like, and you just walk away from it. Like that is like the, the, the stages of trail camera theft, like pure rage, just give you the SD card. I hope you rot in hell. I'm moving on. Yeah. Like, it's
1: so I don't know why people are like that. It's just so annoying oh. that they can't just leave something that they stumble upon.
0: Right. Like I, I, you know, when I, when I see trail cameras, I just, you know, wave to them, say hi, maybe I'll moon them and then I'll just keep going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's just like, whatever, man, like let that person have their, have their due, you know, like that yeah, yeah. property and let them have it. But some, and I, my biggest pain in the ass on that, my biggest gripe is like, dude, you're, you're like hunters are supposed to be like well connected people, and like there's not yep. a ton of us, so we should be friendly to each other. And we're yep. like some of us are just ruining it for everybody. Yeah. Um, but anyway, like uh, that's why. So I had I got some Exodus and and I really liked them. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I would like to check out those bogs. I do have some muddies, I have some Brownings, I have a Bushnell, um, and um one other one that I can't think the name of a mole tree. Um, okay. So, and you know, like, I don't know if it's age or quality or what, but, but certainly the Exodus are are running the best for me. Um, I do. So the muddies, the muddies are cheap. They're like 50 bucks or 60 bucks. Yeah. And I bought at the time when I was with, I was with Midwest, uh, Midwest Whitetail for like three or four years. And we got a discount on them. I can't remember what it was, but I bought like four or five of them with that discount, and I think I have one left that still works. Yeah, <laughs> but that yep. one, like it, it, it works well. It works great. So I'm not, I'm not upset with that one. But man, the other, I think, I mean, it, that was like six, seven years ago, um, when I first bought them. One of them was just like pretty much garbage out of the box but then the other the other couple just slowly started dying and nothing happening but this one i got left man it's a trooper it's it's the last one running
1: (laughs) yeah i've got i think i have two of those my brother has a few and for the money i mean it's hard to it's hard to talk too bad about them because they for 60 50 or 60 bucks they work pretty dang good if they were right i mean all of my thing is
0: like yeah it's kind of like, um, you know, I think an exodus is 130 bucks. So you could buy two muddies or one exodus. And the odds of one of those muddies going bad is I would give it like 40% odds that it's going bad. So then, so then it's a question about, all right, well, are you okay with uh, possibly having one go bad or not? And, or are you okay with you know, a more expensive camera, but you only have one. So now you only get to check one area. Yep. Right. Um, one of the other big things for me is the confidence is in is if the camera is going to work. So you said one of the other properties is like further away for you. Yep. So it's like, if I set like for me, my property is an hour and a half. So if I set those cameras and I let them sit for a month, I am pissed if I come back and that thing ain't working.
1: That's you probably know, one of the worst feelings you can have.
0: <laughs> a friend of mine um, got a tag for Iowa. He's been waiting four years to hunt Iowa, and he's like, "Hey guys, I finally got the tag. I'm gonna buy some cameras. What cameras should I buy?" And I was like, "Buy Exodus. Like, they're like I've used them, and I would highly recommend them. Like, they're good to go, and yep. you don't have an issue." He ended up buying like some cheaper cameras for like seventy or eighty bucks. And he went back and five of his six cameras didn't have any pictures on them. And he was like, I don't know what the hell the problem is because they have pictures of me walking up to the camera and setting them. And they have pictures of me walking up to the camera and picking them, but they don't have any pictures in between. And he's like, did someone come out here and clear my cards and just leave some photos or did they just not work? he's like i don't know what the hell happened um and i can't remember what brandy bought but then one of them was working just fine and he said he set the ones up in the yard the next day and just tested them all and they all worked and he's like there had to be deer on these things i have to i have to think someone came out and cleared all my cards yeah but but then the farmer was like no no one else hunts this it's just you (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's like the other thing is if you're if you're putting them out on public land you don't necessarily want to put out your nicest most expensive ones because you're like shoot i'm leaving i just left five hundred dollars out in this woods yeah uh, it's i hope risky. you
0: got it dude it's always you're crossing your fingers when you're walking up and then you're walking on especially on public like walking up and you're like all right the camera should be on this tree and you're sitting there looking at that tree and you're looking at it from like, you know, hundred yards off trying to find it. And you're like, fuck, it's not there. And then yeah. you look a little bit further and there it is on the tree. And it's just like a pure sense of relief. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> just oh. like, oh my God, there it is. It's still here. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just hoping it's here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, dude, know that feeling very well.
1: Um, so my brother and I hunted Kansas the first week of November and him and his buddy went down there is like the third week of September and you know they chose to go the cheaper camera route Mm -hmm. uh, for the reasons of if one got stolen and we were very fortunate to you know show up to actually having cameras there and deer on the on the cards so that's best case scenario yeah Uh, yeah I'm not sure how many times that'll work out in our favor but luckily that time it did
0: (laughs) oh that's yeah that's always a phenomenal just like yes it worked
1: they're not stolen, they're not
0: gone. Everything went to plan. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, just to touch on late season, I want to talk a little bit about about photography stuff, but to finish up late season, um, like, are, are you just planning that food source activity and kind of sitting around that food source? Or is there anything else in your, in your book of tricks that you're looking at doing?
1: So, yeah, like food is kind of priority number one. And then there's a second spot that I found that second week of November when I was hunting really hard. And it's a spot that I've just kind of overlooked. It's on that edge of my neighbors and, you know, our own properties. And I haven't, I've only been hunting that neighbors for two years now. So I haven't really kind of dove off into that side or, you know, gave it much thought or anything. And this year, you know, I, I saw some deer movement in there and kind of just, said what the heck and jumped right in there and yeah and there were deer and that's where I you know came really close to a really nice eight point and of course he came from the opposite direction that night but uh that's that's the same location though that I do want to to pinpoint and hunt a little bit more uh for the, rest of the season just because it's just one of those spots that now that I understand it and now that I know it's there and when you look at it on a map it just it really makes sense you can hunt it with a west wind that you know blows it right over this kind of like it's a pond but it's i don't know it's a very shallow pond i guess you could call it but not really a marsh either so the deer you know basically the deer just won't be there so wind right. is perfect blown right to where the deer won't be um and there's the only thing that is like if you bought it is there isn't any food kind of right close by um but there is food behind you and kind of the, the large bedding areas on the property in front of you. So it's, you know, there is luck involved. You just kind of hope that they work to that food instead of the the other cornfields nearby, but that's, it's a spot I really want to put more time in and I'm really, really excited about that come next year. Yeah. So then do you have, a, do you have a camera on that right now? Um, not right in there just because I don't want to, like get in where I'm actually hunting, but I do have a camera, um, probably like 75 yards off of it. Okay. Yeah. On, and, like on the way to that food or what? Uh, so that would actually be kind of more close to the bedding.
0: Oh, okay. So opposite. So, right. so, it, so that spot is just kind of like a travel route between that bedding area and food source.
1: Yeah. Is that yeah. What it's, it's a, about? okay. So I, I'm going to call it a pinch point because it does kind of, I mean, the deer The deer use it like they use a pinch point. Um, like, I mean, they
0: have to walk around that water.
1: Yes, exactly. Okay. And so, yeah, that water, and then you have a hay field. And so, I don't know. It's not like when I hear the word pinch point, I think of just like a 20-yard funnel where the sure. deer are walking right almost under your tree. This is, you know, kind of acts like that, but it's 100 yards wide. So there's still you know deer could easily still skirt you right get out of range
0: okay yeah no and that makes sense um so you have a camera there do you did you drop a camera on your turn up plot as well i imagine you did
1: so i just put two cameras there yesterday when i got back Okay. yeah
0: and then do you have any
1: cameras elsewhere so i'll so those, so I have three cameras out right now, the two okay. on the turnips and then that one on the spot, uh, you know, 70 yeah. or 80 yards away. And that, that trail camera actually has been there since opening day. Um, and of course I checked it and there's, you know, buck galore all before opening day. Then there's November, or November 15th hits and the, however many days I was gone, roughly let's just say 15 days afterwards and yeah deer numbers are just down plummeted yeah <laughs> i mean there's there's a handful of two-year-old eight points there's a, a really goofy like six or seven point i only had a few pictures of him so i couldn't really tell he's re- really goofy um and i w- if he's legal i'd shoot him but we are in a we're in a county where it's four more on one side so if he's okay. only six point he's not legal and i'll just have to watch them walk by me right <laughs> which will probably happen of
0: course of course it will um yeah no I, and that makes sense i was just trying to get a get a feel for your trail camera strategy because my my trail camera strategy changes kind of like from the early season to the mid-season with the pre-rot and the rot and then to the late season like yeah. It changes, and then I I have a few like floater cameras, so I have nine cameras in total. Um, I got a few more common. so I'm hoping to have. I'm hoping to have uh, about fifteen or so, um, in total. And the reason I want f- fifteen, like a hundred acres with fifteen cameras, like that's kind of a lot. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm not putting them all. Like one thing that I realized this year was I I was really hoping to find like a buck in that like or at least get a picture of a buck like 160 or greater like i'm like just at least you know even if it's a 2 a.m photo like just see that giant and know that they they do exist out there
1: yeah
0: um and i never got it early season on the property and i haven't got it through the rut yet and i'm fairly certain there are spots on public that I know can house those types of deer, deer or at least get pictures of them. Yep. So I, I put all my eggs in my private this year. And I'm actually next year, I'm pulling those, I'm, I'm splitting those eggs up and I'm putting some on the public and some on the private. Yep. One of the reasons I wanted to just like target the private is because I want to curve that that time frame that we talked about earlier of let, that four to five year time frame and really knowing a property, I want to shorten that as much as I can. Yeah. Right. So so the more cameras I can get, the more data I can get, the more, the quicker I can learn the property. Yeah. Um and the other, so so that's why I'm buying those extra cameras is is for that private and public mix. But I have um I've moved my cameras around and I actually, I was considering pulling them off scrapes. I was like, I'm going to pull them off my mock scrapes and these scrapes right now. Cause it's, it's late season and, and they're going to be rolling to food. So I need to kind of throw them on trails that go to food sources instead and try to understand that pattern and figure that out. Yeah. And then I was looking at it and the last time I'd been in there was like November, I don't know, like 12th or 13th or something. And when I set those cameras, I was like, you know what? I actually kind of want to understand in the rut, there's like, there's like kind of three phases to the rut. Um, in, in, in my head, there is like the pre-rut where bucks are hitting scrapes all the time and really trying to find those does like, Hey, yeah. did a doe pee on here or not? And that extends to like November 2nd or 3rd where I'm at. And then after that, November 2nd or 3rd, like it's just, how do I find these hot does? I don't need to check scrapes anymore. There's hot does all over the place. I just need to find them. And so they quit hitting scrapes and the scrape activity goes way down until about in, this is in my mind until about November 10th, 12th, something like that. When all these doughs have been bred in that kind of quote unquote lockdown phase. Yep. And then they start, then the doughs are more scarce from November whatever twelfth to the start of gun season, which this year in Wisconsin was like the twenty second or something. Okay. And they're they're more scarce, so then they start going back to those scrapes, and they're like, "All right, has a dopey on here yet?" Yeah. Right? So that's a theory that I have, and so I wanted to leave my cameras on these scrapes to test that theory, and yeah. I haven't pulled them yet since I moved. I moved two cameras onto food source trails i have two kind of main food source trails that were productive for me last year this is only my second year hunting this piece okay so um so i moved those two cameras to those two trails um just to try though just to kind of get an idea for that um and if the deer aren't using those two trails then i don't know what the hell i'm gonna do i'm gonna have to hang and hunt and just guess right um because the food source has totally changed. Like the fields are different and I know they're different, but they're kind of the same. And maybe they're they're using the same trails because the farmer to the north that has that 600 acres, about 400 of its crop, Um, Um, and he plants, he doesn't plant in big batches. It's like strips of corn, strips of soy, strips of hay. So, and they're all in like, I don't know, maybe 50 yard wide strips. So that field every year has the right food source. Regardless, it always oh, yeah. has corns, always has soy, always has hay in yep. it. It's just how far it is from the bedding area. And okay. then also this year he decided to bale all. He he chopped all the corn and then baled it all. So yeah. it really um, removed a lot of that food. So I don't know if they're going to be over there at all for the late season, because he picked all the soybeans, he picked all the corn and then bailed it. And there isn't a whole lot on there. So I'm not sure what's going to happen there. So I'm really, I I want to see if those deer are coming back and using those scrapes between that kind of late rut and gun season timeframe. And then I also want to see if they're using those trails again. And I think, I think as far as the bedding areas go, in that timeframe, um, like I like to think that these, these later winter bedding areas are like core bedding areas that are good bedding areas any time of the year, because they're good in the winter. They're good in the yeah. summer too. They're, they're just as For thick. Sure. In the, they're even thicker in the summer. So yeah. I, that's another theory I have that I'm working on and, and I got to get some cameras on that. And I will this coming, this coming season which is do those mature bucks use the same bedding areas year round just because um, they know that it's going to be good in winter. They know that it's good in the summer. They know that it's safe. They know that they can get in there and no one's going to disturb them because it's so thick, you know, is that the case or, or is it not the case? Do they like to kind of stretch their legs, so to speak, in the summer and the early season and kind of venture off to different bedding areas based on food sources and, and lack of pressure. And I think, I think it's going to be a mixture, but I, I also feel that as soon as pressure picks up, you know, and those bucks get the first whiff, even if they're on the neighbors and they get the first whiff of a hunter coming in, they're like, all right, I know where I'm going. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, so So yeah, that's kind of my, my theory and how I'm working that with the, with the trail cameras and figuring it out. And there's also a portion of our property that is, so we have, so our property has a creek going through it it has a North hillside and a South hillside. And there's a portion of the South hillside that I just, I I don't understand the Southeast hillside. It's got a four wheel trail going through it. There's always deer tracks on it. And I never seem to get good pictures on it. And I don't know what the hell the deal is if the camera's not working or if it's not a good placement of the camera or if, you know, they're actually just veering off that four wheel trail earlier because there's a bunch of different deer trails that enter and exit it. So I actually, I have three cameras on trails, uh, one on the four wheel trail, one on a side trail that's paralleling the four wheel trail, and then one on the lower side that's a break off of the four wheel trail. So I'm like, okay. I'm going to catch you and I'm going to figure you out like right now. Um, because that spot, it has a perfect, like no, no scent issues, no sound issues, no, like no problem getting in there like a ghost and just slipping in there and slipping out of there. They would never have any idea. So if I can figure out when the deer are using that area, or if I could modify the landscape to, to let them use that area more in specific times, uh, either morning or evening, it would set up really well for a stand. For sure. Uh, yeah. And it just like, yeah, cause it, it, it's at the bottom of a boulder. So from the top of the ridge where you'd come in, there's a field at the top of the ridge, you walk on a four wheel trail and that four wheel trail takes a hard left and runs like diagonally down the hill. Okay. If you were to keep going straight over that four-wheel trail, it's a boulder field and the deer don't use it at all. So you can hop down that boulder field and get into a stand right at the base of that boulder field. And then that's where that four-wheel trail is. And then you have some thick cover and then the creek. So- I feel like with, with the right wind, with a north wind, you can slip in there and not have any issues at all coming through that boulder field. And then your wind's just blowing right up into the field, which in the morning shouldn't have any, any issues. Um, but I don't know, they're, they're so elusive in that spot. I
1: just haven't got to get some deer on field camera,
0: (laughs) right. And figure it out and not blow them out and, and sit there or, or I should just, you know, use a hunt and sit there and see what the hell comes by. Um, yeah. but it's always hard wasting those hunts. That's a, I know it's yeah. a debate. I always have in my head. Right.
1: Yeah. Me <laughs> do too. I do an
0: observation sit or do I just dive in? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So the last thing, I mean, we're up on, I don't know, an hour and 20 minutes or something like that. I don't have time here, but, um, camera gear and camera, whatnot. So for, for people looking to get into, The filming game or the camera game what do you run or, or what do you run and then and then what do what do you tell people that ask you what to get into it
1: yeah um so kind of my personal setup right now is a canon 6d mark ii which is a dslr camera and then i've got three different lenses a 70 to 200 24 to 70 and then a 24 millimeter prime lens and so that's kind of my, I mean, that is my go-to for pretty much anything, unless it's, you know, if it's a scenario where I need higher quality, or if it's more run and gun or something like that, I'll just, I'll run a camera, um, to then kind of get what is perfect for the the situation that I'm in. Um, but for most stuff, that's what I use. And then in a a few scenarios, I, I use other people's cameras, which is Pretty cool yeah <laughs> definitely definitely not a bad gig if you can work it out that way um but that's definitely something i i need to upgrade soon too it's just of course do you want to go spend five grand or not and <laughs> right now I, I don't want to right yeah <laughs> um
0: no a six, i mean a 60 is a pretty good camera i mean it's pretty yeah. like, pretty high-end camera i mean you can run what 24 frames a second at 1080 and and be very yep. very well versed with that um it's not a, is a 60 of 4K.
1: No, it doesn't have any 4K.
0: Right, and it doesn't have 120, right? 120 nope. Yeah. Yeah. So those are like the two for anybody listening, those are like the two things that people in the industry kind of like quote unquote want right now, right? I mean, yeah. you know it like people are like, "Oh, do you have 120? Can you can you run slow-mo, which is essentially what 120 allows you to do, and then can you yeah. film in 4K even though YouTube
1: doesn't support 4K?" Like yeah (laughs) so yeah i could i think i can i mean i know i'm living without it right now but i can live without 120 um but 4k in 24 frames per second and even if i could get 4k in 60 frames per second that'd be a a big boost right now um which is what i'm currently looking at it's just timing now of when i want to upgrade yeah and buying Um, all the other cards (laughs) yeah well, shoot. And some of these some of these cameras too, they're not uh, now like running CF Express cards. So I'd have to I wouldn't even be able to use my same memory cards and just adds up quickly. <laughs> yeah, it does. And that's like one thing a lot of people a lot of
0: people don't realize is the amount of like I mean if you will if you look at like captured creative or you look at yep. Sam Soholt or or any of those, you know, rock house motion, the amount of hard drives they have just yep. for I think captured creative. Um, Jordan over there was telling me he has 13 hard drives just for the wired to hunt season. So, the back 40, yeah, the back 40. He has 13 hard drives just for that, and each of those hard drives are a couple terabytes. Yep. So, I mean, you know, and then and then having the computer processing power you know you're spending two two grand or, or so on a nice computer to be able to run all that and process that 4k in a time efficient manner. so it's not like destroying your computer yeah <laughs> um there's just there's a lot of back-end stuff to that and i yep. feel like that's that's where professionals and people who do this for a living are at um what about like if people ask you i'm sure you get it all the time like hey man i'm
1: looking into a looking into filming my hunts like yep.
0: what should i start out with
1: Yeah. So in that, in that situation, you know, usually they give me a budget of like a thousand bucks or 1500 or something like that. And kind of the first thing I tell them is like, okay, you can't just spend all your money on a camera. Like that's one of the worst things you can do because you need a tripod. uh, You need a, a fluid head for that tripod. And if you're filming out of a tree, you need a tree arm And, you know, right there, a third of your money is gone (laughs) and spend (laughs) all your money on the camera. You're not going to be able to afford that. And then, you know, half of video, in my opinion, is audio. So you don't really want to use the internal mic on your camera. You want to get a a decent shotgun mic. Um, There's another hundred bucks. And then now you're kind of to your core camera. And a lot of people don't really think about that, I think. But For camera, since that's the you know hot topic, what everyone wants to know, I don't think you can really beat, like to start out just a a Canon handy cam. Um, you know, it's got the uh like optical image uh zoom to where it's you know you don't have a a manual focus, a manual zoom ring or manual focus, it's just point and shoot, and there's not much besides it. You don't have to worry about you know white balance, and you don't have to worry about um. Well, at least the handycam that I had, I don't even know if it had different frame rates. <laughs> it's just kinda, you know, turn it on and press record. Right. Not much to it. And when you're getting started, I think that's the way to go. If you get too overwhelmed, you're going to result in just not bringing it with you. You're gonna leave it at home. You're gonna forget about it. And, uh, it, and especially for filming your hunts and if you're self filming, especially kind of less is more in my opinion. Cause it takes forever to, you know, get it hung up in the tree and it weighs a lot. And, you know, just kind of starting with a simple setup is the way to go in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I, I, when I get the, I totally agree in the handy cam scenario. Like when I get that question, it's generally um, okay. Do you want it? What is like the first question I always ask is what is your budget? Like, yeah. I mean, you can like you spend you you can spend five grand on a camera body, and not yeah. even buy a lens, not buy a camera arm, not buy anything. So I mean, you have to start with a budget. Is okay? Where? How much do you want to spend on a camera? Um, and then also take into account, you know, budget. You know, a hundred to two hundred dollars for a camera arm. You can find those on Facebook. Has a great um, group called Outdoor Video Classifieds. Yep. That's a great group to belong to. If anybody's interested in that, get involved in that. Cause people sell outdoor camera equipment, tree arms and stuff like that all the time on there. Um, tripods is in probably another hundred bucks and a good fluid head is probably another hundred bucks. So you're talking 300 bucks minimum mm-hmm. on your, your support equipment. Uh, and then a microphone, you know, a good road mic is going to be another hundred bucks. So you're talking about 400 bucks on a support equipment. Um, and if you're only hunting on a tree, then you're talking about, you know, 150 to 250 for the support equipment with just the camera arm. Um, actually, no, then you need a fluid head too, because that's the one thing a lot of people buy the camera arm. They're like, where's the head that I hunt yeah. it to? It's like, oh, that doesn't come with it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So then you have to buy that too. So you know, and and, and uh, a fluid head is transferable from a camera arm to a tripod and vice versa. Like, buy a tripod with a with a fluid head. You can uh, pull it off and put it onto your tripod or your camera arm if you want to. Yep. But yeah, I mean, if you're self filming, start with that handy cam. Certainly, like you like you said, spend three to five hundred dollars. And the other thing I say is like, don't go big right off the bat. Cause what if you don't use it? Like it is self-filming. I do it every time I go out and every time I look at that fucking camera arm and I'm like, do I need to bring you? Do I really want to bring you? Cause after like the first time you take it, it's fun. The 10th time you take it, it's fun. The 15th, the 20th time you're like, am I even going to see a deer worth filming tonight? (laughs) you know like and like you said it's it's not a huge pain in the ass i mean it's just another strap it's another thing to set up it's another thing to do in the stand rather than just going out and hunting and and some days that's just what you want to do right it's just go out and hunt and don't bring any of your camera equipment and just go sit in the stand or sit in the saddle and and do your thing
1: and Um, then another thing that i'd like to add real quick too is this so this is something that I did not think about whatsoever when I first like started filming myself was okay what am I going to do with this footage like let's say I have the most perfect hunt ever and I I myself shooting a giant deer what am I going to do now with the footage because when I first started out I had no idea how to even upload the footage to like a computer I didn't even have a computer to edit it on you know I I didn't know anything about that so it kind of I got lucky in the term or in the sense that I just stuck with it and learned as I went. But, you know, I'd be I definitely would not suggest someone to go out and spend five grand and then not have a plan for what they're going to do with it. Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, you need you need you need to be able to upload it. You need to be able to edit it. And then are you going to post it to YouTube? Or are you going to post Facebook? Or are you just going to have it for friends and family to watch? Yep. You know, and then, and then the other thing is like, are you just filming the shot or are you going to film like an interview plus some B-roll plus, you know, whatever yeah. else you're doing? You know, there's, there's all sorts of questions that need to go into it and how you're going to do this. Um, and the best way to learn is just diving into it and, and, and failing. Sure. Like really that's, that's the truth is like, shit, I should have yeah. done this. I should have done that and whatever. But yeah, starting out in, in that in that handy cam range of of a few hundred dollars, unless the only time I ever suggest people don't do that is if they're like, "I want to take photos too." Yeah, yeah. And and then I'm like, okay, well then you know start with a Canon T3I or something like that. Yep. You know, find a so what what it's called is a kit lens, or it's a called a kit. So it'll come with with a camera and maybe one lens or two lens and some other accessories and things like that. And that's where I would start is like a four or five six hundred dollar sure. kit that comes together. Gets you everything you kind of need to get up and rolling. And then if it's good, if if you use it a lot and you like it a lot and, and you stay with it after a year, after a season, give it a try through a season. If you like it, then upgrade next season and you can sell that other stuff um, yeah. or keep it as a backup. You know, this I'll is also your,
1: suggest, um buying used as well. Yes, certainly. You definitely save some money there. Um, you know, if you, as long as you, as long as you know a little bit about what you're getting into um and like if you, if you buy from something like bh photo or adorama and you get like they're certified refurbished or um used and it has like the rating of it and kind of shows you what you're getting into um probably ebay and eh, i don't know if i'd suggest that right off the bat just because you're a lot likely to a lot more likely to get scammed but yeah um, even like craigslist and facebook you can you can find some really, you know, good, like uh, first time cameras for not a whole lot of money and save a few hundred bucks. They're like,
0: yeah, they're like bows or cars. When, when you buy a camera, when you pull a camera out of the new box, they lose like 20, 30% value. Yeah. You know, it, it just is how it is. And then, and then a new camera comes out. So like I have an a seven, a seven And when that, when i bought that it was kind of like oh the a7s3 just came out or whatever it was i forget at this time and i'm like i screw it i'm not even cuz cuz it would cost cost me so much money to trade this thing in at this point cuz i took it out of yeah. the box yep yeah. so yeah that is a great point it is is look at bh photo video is a great resource so is adorama um their websites that you can go to and they have certified refurbished gear for essentially 20, 30, 40% off the original MSRP. Um, Yeah. And like you said, Craigslist and Facebook or ask around friends, ask people. You know, another great thing is find people you like on Instagram or Facebook or whatever and ask them. Cause I know a lot of times, like that's how I got my first camera. I actually talked to Heartland Bowhunter and I was like, do you guys like, what camera do you suggest? Do you have any extras? And they were like, actually I do. And that's this camera right here is a Canon 60D that i've had for 10 years um so you know i just have it as a backup now yeah but um all right anything else to add to that
1: um just have fun with it (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's the biggest thing is don't don't let it stress you out
0: yeah that is like i have i honestly have to remind myself of that every now and then Is like this is supposed to be fun like you're supposed to be enjoying this you know yep um, have fun with it, and it and it is what it is. Like it's not it's not gonna kill you or anything if you don't get the perfect shot or anything like that. Yep. At the end of the day, what's gonna you know? It's about what makes you happy. Like if you kill that big buck off camera, are are you gonna be just as happy as if you kill it on camera, or or what's yep. more important to you? And figure that out, you know. Yep. And I have a friend like that, um, Parker, who I was talking about earlier. He is he, after like the first three, four days of filming, if he, we don't kill something, he, he don't care. He's like, I I don't care if it's on camera or not. I don't care if it's with you or not. I like, I'm, I'm out here to kill a deer, not out here to, you know, and that's what makes him a very effective hunter. It's like, he doesn't care. He'll go do whatever. It doesn't matter. Whereas I'm more of like, well, I would really like to get it on camera. So like it makes it harder to hunt from the ground. I mean, solo filming from the ground with a camera is really tough. Yeah. Um, but then you know so that's why I'm like very likely to get in a tree and at, at least to some level so I can hook my camera arm up and be a little bit out of the way for movement and whatnot yeah but definitely agree, man have fun with it
1: yeah and then I think um so i I don't self film at all anymore like i I spend so much and so much time in a tree um or hiking mountains with a camera in my hand filming someone else when I like get time to myself to go hunt i just kind of just take that time to enjoy it and you know increase my odds a little bit (laughs) yeah yeah for sure
0: for sure yeah that extra movement can sometimes kill you yeah (laughs) um oh one of the other tips and i was gonna make a youtube video on this and i I still will is when you saw if you are self-filming um every time you like stop filming something with your camera. Like say you film your interview or say you want to film some, some leaves or you film a squirrel running by or whatever the hell it is. Every time you're done filming that instance, put the camera back and refocus it on where it's most likely the deer is going to come that way. If it does all of a sudden appear, you can just hit record and and you're already positioned properly that's one of them that's one of my biggest tips that's really helped me in, in getting more deer on camera is just like making sure that camera is always in like the quote-unquote ready position
1: Yep. yeah instead of facing you or facing you right. yeah and like all of a
0: sudden you're scrambling to get it over there and it's like that's the last thing you want yeah. to do when it when a good buck's walking in is like making a bunch of movement in the tree <laughs> so yep <laughs> All right, well yeah hey mitch where can people find you
1: uh instagram my handle is mitchell Neeb photo you can find you, me there yeah i'll put it in the link down below this as well okay sweet. and then uh youtube as well kind of kickstarting that um if i can kind of kick it in gear a little bit <laughs> <laughs> right and yeah
0: yeah like i said earlier you can find mitch's uh mitch's work he, he films all of not all but a lot of crispy stuff um so yep. if you watch crispy on youtube like that is mitch is in there in the background hiding and
1: and doing all that stuff so yep so western really tour to- will be uh, western tour will be kicking off pretty soon so there'll definitely be a lot of videos from there yeah dude
0: i i really enjoyed the um the matthews v3 like intro yeah. that you guys put together and did um that looked really good um but yeah i'm excited to see all that for the actual footage and not just those couple kill shots (laughs) Yep. (laughs) all right well thanks for coming on man really appreciate it yeah no problem it's a good time all right see you guys later